0: Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Um the scripture passage this morning will be in Luke chapter twelve, verses one through twelve. You can find this on page fifteen eighty-five in the Bible uh, in the pew in front of you. Luke chapter twelve, verses one through twelve. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak, first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say.
1: Thanks, Becca. Hi, High Point. How are you guys doing? You're doing good. I'm doing great. The Cubs are in first place in NL Central. And... uh, Anybody who thinks the Brewers are going to win is a liar and the truth is not in them. No, no. <laughs> uh, I'm a big baseball fan and it, uh, it's just fun to see a, a team that's been on a hundred year slump have actually played good baseball a couple of years. Uh, good to see you. My name's Lloyd. I'm uh, one of the pastors on staff here at High Point. We're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke um, today by looking at... Uh, The text that was just read by Becca, Luke 12, um, 1 through 12. Whom shall I fear? When I was a kid growing up on the west side of Chicago, um, middle class uh, neighborhood, uh, lots of good families, working class neighborhood, uh, and uh, my family had five kids, and uh, range from you know babies to, like, teenagers, and uh, there was another kid next door, uh, Terry Smith, and the Smiths had, like, five or six kids, like we did, but uh, Terry was a bully, and Terry, in particular, Terry bullied me, and uh, now that I'm older and was able to make it through that bullying period, I'm thankful because I learned some things, but at the time, it was really tough. I was afraid of, of Terry. And I think the fear of man can do uh, at least uh, three uh, things. It can have an impact on you in at least three ways. Uh, um, in my case, it gave uh, Terry power over me. When I would, in, in those days, we didn't have play dates. This was preceding <laughs> play dates. Play date was to go in the front area and play football or any number of games with kids your age or go into the alley or walk down to the park. We created play dates. And that's what, during those play times that that's when Terry would bully me. Lord, he'd be, he, you know, he'd just flinch and I would be, you know, quaking in my boots. And sometimes he'd actually hit me. And, and, and so what, what that did for me is I would, um, uh, I would be worried about the next day. Think about this, you know, um, the effects of bullying is kind of well known and, and documented and teachers are told to be on guard and administrators. But that, back in those days, it was like, you know, you handle that stuff yourself. And so, but for me, the, the handling was that I was just worried about the next day. I was concerned about the future. Um, the second thing is I lived with a bunch of anxiety and doubt, right? And so I never knew, like we could be playing, I could be playing with Terry one minute, and then all of a sudden he might take a swing at me or something. And, you know, I was, I was afraid to fight back, and so I had this anxiety. I, I doubted myself, I felt like a coward, right? And, and I was raised in a, a Christian home, I was... Uh, in the church, and I had heard that that God was a defender of the weak, but somehow in that fear of man, I I forgot all of that, and I think it would have been easy now, thinking back on it. I could have talked to my dad, and maybe he could have talked to Mr. Smith. They were pretty good friends. They might have been able to talk that thing through, right? Or I could have talked to my older brother and said, "Hey, Lawrence, why don't you go beat him up? My brother could fight, man." <laughs> but I wasn't. I, I was. I was clouded to the right correction by my fear. My, my fear had me clouded. My fear had me uh, bound. And, and, and in a real sense, a, a fear of man is an idol. And so I had more fear over Terry than I had over doing what was right or good or true. And that's what fear does to us. And in, in Luke 12 and 4, uh, Jesus, uh, the heart of this passage, he says this, he says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, that is, men, men. The worst they can do is physically kill you. So don't be afraid of them, but be afraid of the one that can do more after that, i.e. be afraid of the God who judges at the end, who will enter into eternity, he says. Be afraid of that. So what I want to say to you is don't fear man. That's the main point for today. And in this text, there's four things that Jesus says so, that, so to explain why you shouldn't fear men. No man. Not your dad or your mother, not your boss, those who try to abuse you, no fear, seek God. Four reasons. God says this, he says, God makes everything known. He makes things clear about what the truth is so that he can hold every person accountable. I'll, talk, I'll have a lot to say about that in relation to how I think that's playing out in the modern times right now. That God is making, uh, he's making things known, and then he's holding folk accountable, and he's certainly going to do that at the end of time. He'll have final judgment. But then God is upholding the faithful. Don't fear man, because God will keep you. He will keep you when times are tough. When you're under trial, I've seen it time and time again. God, if you are a faithful Christian, the scripture never says you won't have trials and difficulties or persecution. It says that God will sustain you through that. It says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. It says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so you have this promise that he will keep you in the midst of your difficulties, not that you won't have difficulties. And then God will speak through you when you are enduring persecution for your faith. That the Holy Spirit for a Christian who has come to Jesus by repentance and faith and received the Spirit and walking in obedience, that person, when they speak on behalf of Jesus, they can count on God speaking through them in persuasive ways. And so for those reasons, God says, don't fear man." I want to de- de- delve into these. The first one, God makes everything known. So preceding this particular text, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. He's going across and pursuing his preaching ministry. He's got his disciples following him in the crowds. He's teaching, he's healing, he's loving people. And yes, he's rebuking those, especially those who outright oppose him, especially the hypocrites, the leaders of the people who looked clean and powerful and godly on the outside, but inside they were wretches and they, were, they had wicked hearts. He says this, in Luke 30, uh, 11, 37 through 39, when Genesis had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Listen, don't be afraid to go and speak to the enemies of the faith. Jesus was a friend of sinners. You should, and I should be too. We should go into their houses and we should love them. And in these cases, these religious leaders, they knew the scripture. Like Jesus knew the scripture, they they had a higher level of accountability, so he actually rebukes them. He says this, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, like their um that it was their right, it was the what as what the traditions were to wash in certain ways, and Jesus didn't follow their traditions, and they were they were like that. Means he's unrighteous, and he says this. The Lord said to them, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean up on the outside. But inside, you're full of greed, and you're full of wickedness. You love money. You um, won't help your brothers understand and apply the scriptures. You're full. You you love the prominent places at the feasts. You love power and prestige, but you don't love the lowly. And when you see a sinner, you jeer at them as as opposed to trying to help them onto their feet. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You're, you're full of greed and wickedness on the inside. And a crowd is, uh, is established, and many thousands had come and gathered w- with him, and they were trampling on each other. And Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, this big crowd, Pharisees, uh, much of the surrounding area of Hebrews. He's speaking to this crowd, and he says to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, hypocrisy and lies and wickedness spreads. That's why we gotta watch our company, the people that we hang out with. Now listen, I can come and witness to them, but they're not gonna be my spiritual friends. I can hang out with the, with the non-Christians, right? But I'm not gonna take them into my confidence. I hang out with the Christians, I talk to them, but their words I'm not gonna imbibe, right? We're friends, and we're trading. They're speaking their truth, and I'm speaking the truth about Jesus, right? Amen? And so so I'm not afraid to engage in them because I know the difference between truth and error, right? So have these kinds of relationships. Just don't make them your intimate friends. Does that make sense to you? Am I speaking to you? Can you understand what I'm saying? All right. Verses be on your guide against the yeast of the Pharisees, their sinful life, which is hypocrisy. They pretend to be uh, religious leaders and holy, but they're not. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Listen, there's a lot of things being revealed news about high-level sports teams and certain kinds of abuses, things about church officials, some churches that I have attended, and questions about um, sexual purity and the like. Uh, High-level officials in our government under examination. And to the degree that these things are true, that's Jesus. What he is doing is he is exposing the truth. And to the degree that the stuff is true, right, that's, that's the kind of thing that Jesus does. The kind of thing that Jesus does is he holds people accountable for what they say and for what they do. And everything is on record these days. And so you could go into any meeting now, and, and I could go into a counseling session, and I'm trying my best to try to, uh, to bring the, the spiritual truths of God to a particular need, and somebody can have their thing. So I've got, I can't be afraid of that. i got to be able to say, I taught them what I knew to be true. My conscience has got to be clear. We're in a time, man, where uh, stuff could be recorded, and then you, uh, Fox News, Capital Times, uh, ESPN, all, all kinds of news. So things are on the record. And we've got to use our discernment for sure, Pastor Nick was praying about that, to know the difference between what is true and what is false. But to the degree that this stuff is true, that is alleged, that's Jesus fulfilling scripture. He's saying that you can't keep your dirt undercover. He's going to bring it to light. And the gospel, the beautiful thing is this. The gospel does well in the truth. We want people to see that when you repent and come to Jesus and walk in the Spirit, that it changes your life around. That, doesn't, that helps the gospel when they see transformed lives. It helps the gospel when we see healthy marriages. It helps because of Jesus. It helps the gospel when we see strong, established children. It helps the gospel when there are teachers in the school system that love Jesus and love their children and aren't unashamed of their faith. That helps the gospel. Amen. The gospel isn't hurted by, by being uh, known. It's wickedness that takes a hit when it's known. Right? So we're not afraid of the truth. We're not afraid of the light. That's why there's all these these illustrations about being the light of the world. And Jesus is a light. He's revelation. He's truth. We want to magnify him. Come on, talk with me. And we want him, we want to grow in holiness so that our lives more reflect the splendor and the glory of our Savior. Come on, talk back with me. So we're not afraid of the light. That's the devil that, that likes the darkness and the light. And, the, and he wants, that's his work. I thought this was my, my, my clicking. <laughs> Jesus wanted it to be known. He says this several times over and over again, that he's going to make things known. Live a transparent life. That's your application. There is a uh, business parable I want to share with you about the fact that God makes things known. He walks in truth. There is a a business blog called After Two Tricks. It's done, written by a a young man named Naveen Kumar. He writes this uh, story. I want to tell you the story. Business Parable. The CEO of an established and well-respected company. He's older and he's about to retire. So he brings his junior executives. There's five of them. And he says, listen, I'm about to retire. I'm going to name a successor. I'm giving each of you five a seed. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the seed. I want you to plant it in soil. I want you to nurture it. And at the end of a year, we're going to judge the results on, on the flourishing of these seeds, on what you do with these seeds. At the end of that five-year period, I'm going to determine the CEO. So these guys, they take it. They're like, man, we're... we're we didn't think that we were on the track to be CEOs. There's higher level people. This is what an awesome opportunity. They take this, they buy potted plants, they, they get the fertile soil and they sunlight and water. And, and then within a few weeks, four of the five, their plots are growing. And they're posting stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Look at my, look at my plant, right? And this one guy, he's just not, whatever he does, He replants, it's not working. He he waters, it's not working. He he talks to his wife, who's a gardener. Nothing. Months go on. His peers are are, are bragging about how things are going and so forth, and he's got nothing. So it gets to the end, and his wife talks to him. He's embarrassed. He comes to his wife and says, Look at this pot. I got got nothing. I've been working at this thing hard, and I got to go in, and we got to give an accounting to the CEO. I'm just not going to go to work. You know, she says, you've got to do the right thing. You've got to go in there and tell them what happened. So, he, indeed, he goes in. And the four other executives come in with these flourishing plants. And then he barely, he won't even come to the front. He stands in the back head down. And the CEO sends someone around to talk to him and grabs him, brings him to the front. He thinks, oh, he's going to fire me because I've done nothing with this seed. And, and he has him, stands up and says, Jim, I want you to... Uh, I want to announce today that I'm appointing Jim, the CEO of our company. And the four other folks are sitting there astounded. They're like, look at what we've done. How in the world can this one who did nothing with the plan be the CEO when we've got, look at this flourishing stuff? And the CEO goes on to say, I gave all five of you seeds that were boiled. They were dead. Impossible for anything to grow. And one of you came back and told the truth that is you couldn't grow it, and the other four of you were liars. Jim is the next CEO. Now listen here, listen here. Jesus is wiser than all, I love business. I I spent years working and I love CEOs and all that junk. right? But here's the deal, he's got wisdom and knowledge that surpasses human wisdom. And he makes everything known in its season so that he can hold every person accountable, which is the next point. God holds every soul accountable. Luke 12, 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that, they can't do any more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Luke 12 and 10 says this. We're talking about how Jesus judges. We're talking about how the God father son and the spirit how they have power and authority to judge i'm talking about final judgment i'm talking about what's going to happen to your soul and everyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven so i'll preach a nickel breach and some folks non-christians will hear and they say i don't believe that and they'll they'll leave and but, but maybe next time they can come back by the grace of god He'll convict and open their hearts and they'll receive the word. Anybody that says a word against the word of God or Jesus, they can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who says that spirits that Jesus casts out were done by Satan, anybody that says that the the weak who was raised to life was done by Satan. Anyone who says that Christian marriages that have been turned around, Christian children who've come to faith and been established in the, in the Lord, uh, w- w- women who live 50, 60 years if, in faith and die with a smile on their face, anybody that says that that's the devil, that person has a hardened heart and may be irredeemably Hardened. That person is in big trouble with the Lord. The Lord is the righteous judge. Now, the Christian doctrine of final judgment may be the most contemptible judgment by the world. Because it strikes against every bit of humanism and postmodernism. It, it cuts to the core. It's completely opposite to it. Right, Because the modern person, the secular humanist, believes they can create their own truth. Don't try to put your standards on me, amen. Though there have been established truths, Judeo-Christian truths that have established our government and allowed the nation to flourish, they say, don't put that stuff on me. I can create my own truth. And not only that, I can determine my own fate. If I just work hard enough, if I think properly, if I'm disciplined, I can, I can make things happen. And so I, I refuse any religion that tries to be the final authority. The problem is, if that lies up or stands completely against what Jesus has said in his word, it, it's, it lines up completely against what Jesus has said he is, so that when I speak of my truth, as, op- as opposed to the truth, the way, the life, somebody's a liar. And it's not Jesus. Secondly, they say that I can determine my own fate by my own actions and my own ingenuity. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming, soon I'm returning, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What is the work of God? To believe him who he has sent. What is the work of God? The first work of God is faith. Through repentance and faith, there's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, there's the ability to obey. Through obedience and fellowship in in Christ, there is the flourishing of the fruit of the Spirit. There is real righteousness, real goodness. The kind of thing that makes life worth living begins to flourish only in Jesus Christ. Somebody's a liar. Somebody is a liar in terms of saying that they can establish their own faith or or the the scriptures that say in Acts that in in Christ we we move and we have our being. There's a lie somewhere. And we've got to know the truth. The truth is that Jesus is going to judge at the end. And it's a good judgment. It's good. And let me explain to you why. In Psalm 37, the psalmist this, 27 to 29, it says, turn from evil and do good, the good that God has revealed to Israel. He had given them the truth. Turn from the the ways of the people around you, he says, and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. He said, then I'll bless you. The Lord loves the just, and he will not forsake his faithful ones. But wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. I want you to see this. That God loves his children who come to him by faith. And he loves his word was given to us so that our lives would flourish. He loves us created in his image. His word was given to us so it would flourish. And he loves the person and what is produced by the obedient person, And so much so that he will get rid of everything that is against that. Everything that is against the person he loves. Everything that is against the word that he knows is righteous. He he must eliminate that so that real righteousness could flourish. In my household, I had a a sibling that really struggled with drug addiction. And when this person was in the household, all kinds of hell broke out in the house. All kinds, every manner of hell. Some of you have been with an addicted person. Come on, talk back with me. I'm not the only one that had had chemically addicted people in my house, am I? And so there's hell was in the house. And when the hell the person would leave, there would be a peace that would come. And in the workplace, there's sometimes troublemakers. And when the troublemakers are dealt with, then there's peace and there's productivity in the workplace. And when David was king, the nation flourished. Especially when He followed God. ha! <laughs> Come on talk with me. Right? When He followed God faithfully, the, the people rejoiced. They loved Him. they flourished under His leadership. but not with Saul. Under Saul, their armies got waylaid. Under Saul, his righteous son Jonathan got killed. The wickedness destroys a nation. Wickedness destroys a family. Wickedness destroys a church. Righteousness builds a family. Righteousness builds a church. Righteousness builds a nation. If you are a Christian, you and me are in the righteousness business. We must live by truth, know that God holds all people accountable. And the next thing we've got to recognize is this is that God will uphold the faithful. Here's what it says in the text. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. One of the things I want you to know is God loves you deeply. He is completely aware of your circumstances and your situation and if you have accepted him by faith, he is on your side, not just today, but for an eternity by promise. He loves every hair on your head. I don't got much anymore, so I, I like that he's keeping his hands on. Uh, I'm about to go bald here in a minute. I'm, uh, I've been, I'm debating with my barber whether I should just let, let him shave me off. But he's got every hair numbered, and so I'm going to keep it as long as I have. <laughs> he loves me. Despite my failures, despite my challenges, He loves me forever. He has an unfailing love. If you believe deep in your soul that Jesus loves you, you can stave off the fear of man and any other fear. When the eternal, all powerful God is your friend, you can stand up against any enemy. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. God knows who his friends are. He knows who belong to him. Unfailing love. When I was a young father, Um, My youngest, my oldest son, Jason, um, he fell in love with Toy Story. And he he used to want to watch that thing all day and all night, sometimes two and three times a day. And it was, you know, I was a dumb dad. I didn't know how to say no. His mom was the same. And so we would would sit and we would watch, and we would watch the Toy Story with him, even though we had seen it and were bored stiff. He just loved it so Woody and Buzz Lightyear and their adventures and so forth. And I used to listen to this song by Randy Newman, and it really spoke to me. I I think it spoke to me because I I was raised in a troubled kind of house. And so having really dependable love was a thing that I tried to build in my family from the earliest times. But there was a song by Randy Newman, You've Got a Friend in Me. And I used to sing it to Jason and a little bit to Jared when he came along, but Toy Story 1 was long past when Jared came along. On to 2 or 3. And I, uh, the song says this, You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and you're miles from a nice warm bed. You just remember what your old man said. I changed the word from old pal. You just remember what your old man said. You got a friend in me. Verse 3 says this. And as the years go by. Our friendship will never die. You're going to see. Both of you. It's our destiny. You got a friend in me. Oh, you got a friend in me. In Luke 12, verse 4, Jesus calls the disciples his friends. He says, My friends know everything. I've I disclosed things to them, I love them dearly. Uh, Jesus is our friend. My, my sons go through some difficult times and, and, and stuff. And with, even with my dad, I would go through difficult times. And my dad would, would chastise me, but, but I always knew that he loved me. Your father, your father in heaven, knows that you go through difficult times and makes mistakes, but his love is never failing. His compassions, wifey, are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You've got to understand that if you're going to conquer fear. You don't have a chance in hell. To overcome fear, if you don't believe, if you don't know that you know that you know that God loves you, and that He's working towards your good, His word is for your good. His discipline—yes, you do get discipline from a loving Father. What what Father? What loving Father wouldn't discipline His children, so that they would grow in righteousness? But your heavenly father knows everything. An earthly father does his best. Your heavenly father knows everything and knows how to discipline just appropriately in order to produce fruit in his children. You've got a friend in God. God upholds the faithful. Paul said this to Timothy, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. God upholds the righteous. And do you love Jesus? Do you long for his appearing? Like Donna Ludekin. I long for Jesus' appearing. Lastly, we should not fear man because God makes everything known. He holds every person accountable. He upholds every Christian. Everything is for your good is a promise, unbreakable promise from God. Death and life and troubles, God will bring fruit out of your life. He'll build character and make you a stronger Christian and prepare you for eternity. Everything, everything is his promise. Lastly, God speaks through you when you are on trial. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit, God in you, will teach you at that time what you should say. And Paul says it like this. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing to his dear friend and protege, uh, Timothy, who he has established uh, in the faith and appointed a pastor. He loves him dearly. And these are some of his last words. And so he's saying the most important things. And he says that in Rome, when he had to stand trial for for his defense of the faith, he says that my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. The implication there was even Christians deserted him. So I want to be there for my sons, but I'm going to pass. And so... Every Christian's got to have something stronger than their best friend, human friend, as their real support. I, I, I intend to be faithful, but I'm not going to be here. And, so, and, and, and sometimes we fail. They deserted him. But the Lord, but the Lord, see that? But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Christians were often fed to the lion, so this could literally be that, or this just could be a metaphor for judgment that would end in his death. He says, I was delivered from that kind of judgment. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Now, this is interesting because he knows that his time is up. He knows that he's, a, he's being poured out. The Spirit has told him that his days, his days are up, but he's not concerned about his physical life. He's concerned about his soul. He says, my soul is secure." in eternity. I might get killed. My soul is secure. I might get killed. My soul is secure. You've got to have that kind of confidence. You cannot love this world more than you love Jesus. You will be ineffective in the faith. You won't witness to anybody. You'll always be afraid of your spouse or your husband or your boss or your pastor or you name them. Because you'll be concerned about your life and what you will wear, and what you will eat, and where you will work, and you won't be concerned. You won't rest in the promises that God has made. That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he will, if you seek his kingdom, he will give you all the things that you need. You won't believe that you already have the kingdom. Wife, we already have the kingdom. We can do some things. He's going to take care of us. 29 years, I think he's good for another 30, whatever he's going to give us. He good for it. He's good for it for you. You gotta trust, you gotta know that for yourself. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. He'll bring me safely to his heavenly home, that is my soul. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you cannot fear man, it will stifle your witness, it'll stifle what you could do for Jesus. You won't be able to grow a dynamic business or a good marriage. Or you won't be able to make the tough decisions that make for a good parent. Or you won't be able to pastor correctly because you'll be afraid that the people won't like you. And so I can't do make that decision because the people won't like you. But if you know that Jesus is your friend and if you walk according to his word, he will support you. And you might lose a couple of friends, but you're going to keep Jesus and his Holy Spirit. God makes everything known. He holds every soul accountable. God upholds the faithful. God speaks through you when you're on trial. What a friend we have in Jesus. Here is the main application that runs from the very beginning to the very end of this text. What he's saying to you, us, what he said to his disciples is, look, the Pharisees are, I am witnessing, I'm healing, I'm preaching, people are getting saved, and see who my enemies are. He's saying, you're going to have these enemies too. Repeat after me. I got enemies too. If you are trying to live a godly life, you're going to receive persecution. That's good Bible. That's Paul somewhere in the scripture. You're going to to incur persecution. Guaranteed. And guaranteed, God is going to strengthen you through the persecution. He's made that commitment. What he wants is for everyone to have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Even the ones who persecute you might turn. And so you have to stay up under persecution so that everyone can hear. You've done your job after that. they got to make their decision, and you with a good conscience can stand before him that will judge in the end, and you will enter eternal life. You can witness transparently. I don't want you to be afraid at school, at work, as a teacher, me, when I'm floating with the hundred black men, not all of which are Christian, I cannot be afraid to identify with Jesus and his gospel. I can't be ashamed of the gospel of Romans 1.16. Do not be afraid to be a Christian. There were so many secret Christians in the workplace. Shh, Lloyd, don't tell nobody. I'm a Christian too. I was like, come on, man, what's the problem? What's the problem, man? We got to stand for the faith and give a defense. And we'll be, we'll be just fine. God is is not concerned about the enemy and their opposition. He he can support you just fine. And if you lose your job, he'll give you another one. Now, I'm not saying um, disregard your company policies. That's that's not what I said. I'm saying walk in the Spirit, be bold enough to see the open doors that God will put before you, and he's going to protect you. I guarantee you, he did for me, And he'll do it for you. Be transparent about your faith. Be bold in your faith. Not reckless, (laughs) but bold. You can do some things in God because, because he's holding the sinners accountable. You he's supporting. And you can be confident as a Christian. This is something that's taken me years to develop my confidence in Christ. But it's based upon Christ and his word and my belief that he's with me. And maybe more most important, be dependent. It's good to have boldness and transparency and confidence with humility because it's Christ that works in you. It's not you. Whatever good that would occur, whoever is edified, is through Jesus and his work. Always giving glory to Jesus. Always give glory to Jesus and don't take any of it for yourself. You get those four down, that's the main application. Go out there and be an everyday missionary. God's got your back. Let us close in prayer. Workers team, you can come on. Lord, you want us to be free from fear. And so you came to earth, God. And you walked among ordinary men, and you affirmed their value and their lo- your love for them by what you said and what you did, especially what you did on the cross. To make a way that we should not be afraid of Satan, that we should not be afraid of sin. You died, you were buried, you rose from the grave with the Holy Spirit, with all power, and you gave power to every Person who came to you in repentance and faith, everyone who will come receives your Holy Spirit and receives your promise of an abundant life now and an eternal life Nobody can make that promise. Nobody can say, man, I'm going to give you an abundant, fruitful, effective life now and in the eternity. Only one can make that promise. That one is Jesus. That one is you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for taking away our fear. Help us to focus in on you and not our troubles. Help us to remember these things this week as we go and as we face opposition. Let us remember what we learned today so that we can give you glory so that we can edify the other saints in jesus name we pray amen
0: amen